Engaging Leader, Episode 180, The Truth and Lies of Performance Management, featuring Michael Bungay-Stanier. Leadership inspired trust, passion, and action. Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Well, over 15 years ago, I was uh, helping. Another client with my umpteenth implementation of a big performance management system overhaul. And there was a book that came out called Abolishing Performance Appraisals. And uh, that caught a lot of people's attention. And then uh, not too long after that, sure enough, lots of companies really were going down that road. Adobe being the most famous that, that said they were no longer going to do ratings performance rate ratings but uh, any all along the spectrum there have been companies for easily the last 20 years trying to figure out what is wrong with their performance management system trying to figure out how can we do it better how can we uh, get what we need in terms of improving performance managing performance managing pay without the headaches and time consu- consuming hassles and just pain that comes from traditional performance management. So how is all that working out? All the, this tweaking and new approaches to performance management or zero performance management, some might say. How is that working out? Well, today we're going to be talking about a new piece of research called The Truth and Lies of Performance Management by a group led by Michael Bungay-Stanier and his colleagues at Box of Crayons. Now, we had Michael Bungay-Stanier on our show back in episode 132 to talk about his book that was brand new at the time, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More. That book continues to fly off the shelves. And his group at Box of Crayons uh, continues to help companies all over the world implement practical, everyday coaching skills. Now, since coaching or Uh, Similar types of performance discussions are a uh, stated goal of most companies' performance management systems. It makes perfect sense for the Box of Crayons team to launch this research, figuring out what's the state of the art on performance management. And so they surveyed senior executives across more than 120 organizations, asking them to share what they're doing and not doing in their organizations. And they supplemented that research with qualitative interviews adding stories from the front line to the statistics. So we know the old way of doing performance management just isn't doing it, but what is really happening? Let's find out. Let's talk to Michael Bungay-Stanier. Michael, welcome back to Engaging Leader. I know. Welcome back. We were just, before you hit the record button, we're like, how long has it been? Has it been six months, maybe 12 months? It's like two years yeah. or more. So it's nice. you seem to have grown more hair than since I remember no, you. No, sadly. Like, it's just my imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Just wishful thinking. Sadly, <laughs> I, your hair is taller than it used to be. It is. <laughs> Although that's just because I've been running my hands through my hair in frustration <laughs> this morning. That's another story altogether. Well, frustration in the, regarding the topic of performance management, those two go hand in hand. Perfect. I was right. sharing with you all the times that I have, uh, over the past couple decades, helped clients implement new performance management from the communication perspective. Yep. Um, it's, it's something that frequently a new CEO asks his team, hey, we, like, can we just 
throw the whole thing out and start over. Yeah. Um, what's or what's just behind throw the that whole thing out? And never have to do this ever again. Yeah, and we've been hearing a lot of that since 2012 with Adobe sort of starting uh, being one of the most famous examples of hey, let's just let's just throw performance appraisals, at least that portion of performance management out. What's behind that? The the uh, frustration there. Uh, you know, it's not going to be no surprise to anybody who's gone through a traditional performance management appraisal process is that basically it just kind of sucks as a process, right? It's like once a year you're, you're hauled up, you're given a number, it's loosely connected to how you're doing, but it's really kind of justifying a pay rise or not a pay rise more often. Um, it's bureaucratic. It takes up a vast amount of time. It leaves everybody demotivated from HR to the manager to the person being in the conversation. It's just like this terrible process, but it just seemed to be the best anybody could come up with. And finally, it's kind of like a moment of the emperor's new clothes. Somebody <laughs> went, is this, is this the best we've got? <laughs> could we not do something better than this? Everybody goes, hey, you know, you're right. This is terrible. Why are we suffering through this whole process? And so for the last five years or so, there's just been an increasingly steady drumbeat uh, in, the, in the press, like Harvard Business Review, Strategy in Business, all of those places of people going, yeah, damn it, we're done with performance management. We're over it. Let's, let's move on from that. And, you know, if you're, if you're a part of that world, you kind of look on at those adobes and the world where they go, wow, they've, they've abandoned everything, they stopped their, their process, they've removed ratings. How are they doing that? How, is that successful? What, what happens when you have none of that structure? Or do they have any structure? What's really going on? So the initiative behind the performance management report that we issued, Truth and Lies of Performance Management, and also behind the podcast that I've been running called Performance Management Stories, has just been to try and find out what's really going on. You know, what's the, how real is this revolution? Um, and of course, for us at Box Ukrainians, where we champion practical coaching skills for managers and leaders, it's a question about, and how does coaching fit into all of this? I mean, is coaching, as I think it should be, as, as a key part of this, or am I just making that up? And you... There, there is this important distinction, and you, you, you made it when, at the beginning of the research, between performance management and then the other the components of that, including the, the appraisal and yeah. coaching and the. It's like there's performance on one side and management on the other side, which is, you know, performance. How do you do better? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if you're really going for it, how many thing, how many widgets will you achieve this week? Uh, you know, whatever your widget might be. And then there's management, which is, well, we're going to give you a bonus if you exceed your target. So now how many widgets are you planning on doing this week? And they're just inherently in, in tension with each other. Because if you're smart, you're like, okay, part of me just wants to do the best I can, stretch target, fail nobly, go for the big swing, try and get across the line, really be committed. But if you're, if you're getting paid for success and you're like, well – I could do 100 if I was really pushing myself, but why don't I tell everybody that success for me is 40 and then I'm going to crush that target and get my <laughs> bonus and be loved by everybody. So that's where the tension lies. Yeah. So you went out and uh, surveyed and followed up with interviews with mm -hmm. a large number of organizations. Yeah, about and 120. And no surprises, most of them had been rethinking their approach to performance management. Yeah. So 
If you ask the question, is the revolution happening? The answer is, well, yes, kind of. Because it turns out that lots of people are trying to tinker with what they're currently doing and playing with it, and it's an agenda item for them. Very few people have kind of applied radical surgery and gone, we're abandoning ratings, we're abandoning performance management. Um, that's far less frequent. But, you know, many people have done things like, uh, okay, we're going to make the formal conversation about this. We're going to move from once a year to twice a year or maybe twice a year to four times a year. Or they're like, okay, we just know that coaches and managers need to be better coaches. So we're going to invest in a coaching training process and try and set up expectation that there's more ongoing coaching happening around that. Or quite often there's a – we're integrating some sort of platform, some sort of technology, just so there's a bit less paperwork in all of this. And so what's the, the, the bottom line is uh, you, in terms of is it making a difference, all these changes that they've been trying out? Yeah. I mean, the answer is it seems to be getting a little bit better for people. Um, if you asked a different question, which is, so has performance management now become this awesome part of the corporate process? <laughs> the answer would be, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Just the, the research was interesting, but what I've been loving is the performance management stories podcast because you didn't get to talk to people who are right at the heart of trying to figure this stuff out. And, and you really see the kind of uh, dirt under the fingernails and blood on the hands and uh, all and the successes as well. And uh, you know, I, I'm thinking of uh, uh, my interview with um, Gary Ridge, who's the CEO of WD40. And you, everybody knows WD40, the the lubricant that you can spray onto things to make them unstick. I think WD stands for water something or other and 40 is the this is the 40th prototype that I, and this is the first one that worked <laughs> that was, that was the one that worked that's that's why they call it wd40 <laughs> so very much an engineer title i was trying to come up with a question for you that included a pun about how so how did wd40 get their appraisals uh unstuck <laughs> there we go um and gary is uh you know he's done a lot of work with uh, the blanchard Ken Blanchard, he wrote a book with Ken Blanchard, that organization. And they, I love how um, in their organization of 2,000 people, global, that's had a ton of success. I mean, I think they've just cracked a billion dollars in revenue and they've had amazing growth and they have, you know, employee loyalty of 97% or something ridiculous. Wow. And they keep their process extremely uh, high-touch, low-tech. It's like, here's your scrap of paper. We're going to come back to it. It's a one-page thing, and we're going to come back to your growth plans and your commitments and your goals that you have co-created with your manager. And we're just going to talk about it every 90 days. And we're going to track things, and we're going to see how you're doing with that. And uh, I have to say that's a remarkably compelling story. Um, but it's a good question to ask, is it, a, is it a scalable story? Because, you know, you can kind of do that at 2,000 people. At 200,000 people, it probably gets a bit more complicated. Well, and your research showed that the technology driving performance management anymore is actually pretty good, isn't it? The, 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 yeah. 15 years ago, it was a big problem. I mean, it was just, it was just really clunky. Yeah, I mean, I would say that 
there's a number of different platforms out there. I'm not an expert in any of them. I've just heard this from the various people I've been talking to. And, and none of them are bad. And equally, none of them are the silver bullet that saves your process. And everybody who's done this, walked this path knows us that just buying the technology never saves the, solves the problem. You've got to figure out how to integrate it. You've got to figure out how to make people use it. You've got to build a change management process around the technology so it becomes integrated in what they do. Um, and that means you need to buy a system that makes sense and is integrated with the other drivers that you have, whatever they might be. But but I would say that your comments are really good on, which is, honestly, there's, there's plenty of really good, solid technological platforms out there that people can move this stuff to if they wanted to do that. So one of the surprising things in the survey to me was that uh, is what you were talking, uh, found about the companies that have, quote, abolished the appraisals. Tell us what's going on there, because that's sort that tends to be what gets a lot of the press. Yeah, Um well, tell me what, what caught your eye in particular about that, because I know you're setting me up with a leading question, <laughs> not, which is awesome. Yeah, but you so didn't know where I, I was going I'm with not it. Sure where it's leading me on this one. So tell me, <laughs> what, what's the answer you think I'd be giving you at this stage? The answer I thought you would say is, well, Jesse, no. Um, <laughs> so, so one was you're, you don't come out and say, well, it's definitely better to just eliminate the appraisals. It's, uh, you don't say it's necessarily worse. But go into it with your eyes wide open, and uh, there's yeah. more happening. If you think the appraisals are going away, there's still a lot of uh, question about what's really yeah. happening in the vacuum. That's right. So um, the summary would be there's good kind of neuroscience-based research that effectively says ratings are almost always demotivating for people. Even if you're at the top, somehow it still sucks the joy out of things for you, and it's a demotivating process. That said, removing ratings creates a lot of anxiety because people go, well, wait, how, <laughs> how am I doing? Where am I? What's going on here? So you create uncertainty with that as well. Um, it does feel that there's a slow trend to really rethinking ratings, particularly those kind of harsh numerical ones where you're like, okay, you're a three, that means this, you're a four, that means that. Um, and people play with language around kind of where you are on your journey to progress and to grow. And that feels like a more nuanced, more personal process rather than going, I'm sorry, we're giving you a three because, you know, I've got a bell curve. <laughs> and I just, I mean, you're doing great, but honestly, I just can't give you a four because I've got some other people who are fours for sure. So you don't make it onto the bell curve. Um, so there's that. It feels to me that there is a trend slowly away from ratings, but most people are understandably nervous about that. And I think there's a, a, for some kind of consultant listening in around this or training company, because uh, I don't know how to do this, but I'd be curious about it, which is if you could provide a product or a service that mapped the journey from having ratings to not having ratings and how to do that in a way that involved triggering people's amygdala, that kind of lizard brain, as little as possible, and showing the change management process that allowed people to go from, well, you know, honestly, Jesse, I can slap you with a four out of five and that's easy and done, to here's a more nuanced conversation about where you are against the, the, the targets you'd set yourself. 
there's probably a bunch of people who be going, show me how to do that because, you know, to use another metaphor, it feels like a bunch of us are at the top of a 10-meter diving tower going, I get what it's like to jump off this and jump into the pool. It just feels like a long way down, <laughs> and I really don't want to do a belly flop and really hurt myself and make a fool of myself in doing this. Yeah. So where do – if if – Someone's listening to this and they're and they're recognizing there's some problems with their performance management program. Where do you suggest they begin? Um, well, I think the the starting point to begin is to be asking yourself a question of um, you know actually the, the starting point is if you're in this world and you go, I think I have some problems with my performance management system. That That's actually everybody. <laughs> There's nobody who currently has a perfectly operating performance management process. So you got that. Um, and then you go, is it worth me taking this battle on? Because it is hard work. You're changing one of the cultural drivers of your organization. It's not just a question of tweaking a process and going, good, we're done here, that's easy. You've got a vast amount of change management that comes with it. You're dealing with a lot of anxiety because the two topics that show up are, A, am I good enough or am I not? And am I going to get money or not? Yes. <laughs> and how do I do compared to my, my mate over there or not? So you've got a lot of stuff tangled up in here that is you know, not driven by, by the rationale at all. It's just a kind of hot, stinking, emotional mess underneath that calm surface. So you're like, do I want to take this on? Because there is something about, on the one hand, there is never a good time to try and reimagine your performance. It's always a bad time. There's always something that feels more important. But at the same time, you go, okay, do I have a new CEO, a stable CEO, a CEO that's about to retire? Is there a crisis or a change management initiative that I could hook onto that this could be part of? Can I see a crisis that our organization needs to fix that performance management could be a solution to, like you know, engagement or attention or something like that? So it, there is something about don't be naive about launching a process and not thinking it's not going to take a lot of work, not thinking that it's a change management piece. Uh, you know, I talked – the most recent interview for the Performance Management Stories podcast was with a, um, a U.S.-based healthcare system. And this is one of the most impressive people that I've interviewed, really savvy woman, really smart around change management. And honestly, they've been tinkering with their system now for five years. Like every two years or so, they're like, okay, well, we've done given it two years. We're going to do more of this. We're going to take more of that away. They actually took away ratings, and now they're just beginning to add them back in a subtle and interesting way. So, part, But it's clear that she absolutely has the support of her CEO and with that the C-suite. So she's done the savviness about I've primed the culture for change. Um, I've got a CEO who's a, who's a change uh, agent, and she's in a good position to do those experiments. Other cultures, you may just go, there are other battles for you to fight, and maybe you want to take those on first. So another common 
approach to uh, rethinking performance management, if they're not going to do away with performance appraisals or do away with ratings, a lot of organizations will say, well, uh, maybe we should just do them more often, do these reviews more often. Instead of just a once a year uh, appraisal, let's have at least twice a year, maybe quarterly or maybe weekly touch bases. And what, what's the research show on, on whether that achieves the objectives that people hope for in terms of improving performance? Um, the, the broad answer would be yes, they do. Um, you know, the, the, the key takeaway, which is kind of obvious as soon as I say it, is finding a reason for your managers and leaders to have more conversations that are about, hey, how are you doing? How can I help you? What are your challenges for the next 90 days or the next 180 days? Uh, what's required for you to get from good to great? You know, having those conversations on a quarterly basis rather than, a, say, an annual basis, it's just going to be better. Now, even when they're not all of those are going to be done as well as you would wish, <laughs> even though some people are going to skip some of them, the general shift to say, gosh, okay, on a quarterly basis, we stop back, we take a breath, and we go, okay, brilliant. Here's what we learned from the last 90 days. Here's what we're stretching for for the, 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 the next 90 days. Uh, what's going to be difficult for you? How can I support you around that? What are the, what's the consequences of you not succeeding on that? That's just going to make for a more focused and more engaged uh, workforce, and that's what everybody's after. So right away I can hear some managers would be resisting this idea of having more of these conversations, and whether it's in the context of formal performance management or just good old coaching. Yeah. Why do managers resist coaching like that? I love that you asked that question. And, you know, there's a whole chapter in the, in the report about this. And I've got a pre-prepared shtick about it. So <laughs> I'm going to give you my pre-prepared shtick, particularly about why managers resist coaching. So here we go. Five points. First point, they go, Jesse, I don't have time for this coaching stuff. I mean, honestly, I've seen what coaching looks like. The executive coach shows up. They have this, I don't know what, hour-long conversation once every two weeks, say. And honestly, if you look at how busy I am and you look how many people are on my team and you look at just what I'm trying to do, I don't have time for hour-long conversations with people on my team. That's ridiculous. And, of course, at Box of Crowns, we go, you're right, that is ridiculous. You can't coach if it takes you an hour. And, in fact, our stand would be this. If you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach. Hmm. And, of course, there's an answer to that. And the answer is this. That manager goes, well, that's fine, Michael, but honestly, I still don't have time to coach. Even if I could coach in 10 minutes or less, you know, my morning starts at 6 a.m. It goes till 8 p.m. It is crammed all the time. There's just no way that I could add coaching to the responsibilities I have. Even if I had some spare time, which it doesn't feel like I do, but let's pretend I did. Um, you know, there's always other stuff that's more important, more urgent. So I'm not going to be able to add coaching to what I do. And to that, we have a good answer. We say, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. You don't have time to add coaching to what you do. However, what we're saying is we're not adding coaching. We're transforming what you currently do so it becomes more coach-like. Hmm. So then they're like, okay, so it's not kind of an additional burden. That's better. But then they go, okay, but here's the thing. Jesse, I don't. I just don't want to be a coach. I mean, I've met coaches, and honestly, I've been slightly traumatized by all of them. You've got <laughs> life coaches that have to kind of hug you and <laughs> – 
light incense and <laughs> chant and stuff, or I've been brutalized by a sports coach that yelled at me a lot when I was a kid, or maybe I've been coached out of the business by some sort of executive coach, aka fired. So I'm like, <laughs> I've got a lot of baggage around coaching. I don't want to be a coach. And of course, at Box of Crimes, we go, no, get it. We don't want you to be a coach either. There's plenty of coaches in this world. We want you to be you, a manager, a leader, an individual contributor who's more coach-like. And that may feel like semantics to you and me, Jesse, but for lots of people, that's actually very relieving, which is like, okay, more coach-like. I mean, honestly, coaching feels weird, but more coach-like, maybe I could be up for that. Mm -hmm. But then they go, but okay, here's the real thing. I don't even know what you're talking about when you say coaching because, you know, it's one of those words. It has a lot of baggage. It's been talked about a lot, but nobody's quite sure what the definition is. So for us, we go, okay, you're right. Coaching is one of those slippery words. For us, it's can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving just a little bit more slowly? So it's a behaviorally based definition, which is a little less advice, a little less rush to action, just a little bit more curiosity. Not to say that you can never give advice, because we absolutely believe that you can and you should, but could you just rush to advice giving a little bit more slowly? So at this stage, they're like, okay, you've kind of made coaching unweird for me, which is helpful. <laughs> uh, but, okay, what's in it for me? I mean, I get why coaching could be helpful for my organization, more focus, more engagement, better people. I get why coaching is good for the people I'm leading or influencing so they feel more competent and more confident and more autonomous. But, you know, what's in it for me? Why would I make this part of what I'm already doing? And for us, we go, you know, if you get to be more coach-like, you will be able to work less hard but have more impact. And that combination at least gets people interested. Okay, because there are honestly there are not that many people in the world who wouldn't mind working a little bit less hard and wouldn't mind making just a little bit more difference in the work that they did. So that's how we think about the resistance to managers and leaders being coaching or, or being more coach-like and how we kind of reorient our thinking about it uh, to make coaching unweird and accessible for people. And, you know, to your point, as you open the, the podcast, uh, a bunch of that stuff and that philosophy is in that the coaching habit book that, that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. And which is interesting because it does, it's all the coaching habit book is all focused on asking questions. And, and, uh, every time I pull that book back off my shelf and look at it, or I've, I've got a photocopy of the of the questions um, taped to my wall and, and look at it. I, I always like, oh, I forgot to be asking questions. And uh, instead of just jumping to uh, directions or requests or work. Well, so here's the thing. The first chapter of the book is actually, so there are eight chapters in the book, basically. The last seven are about, here are the seven questions. You only need seven good questions. The first chapter is about building a habit. And I'm guessing but perhaps one of the challenges you got, Jesse, is you haven't figured out how to make this stuff a habit. Because what doesn't happen, and you're experiencing it as you read the book and you go, this is awesome. I love this stuff. I love Michael. I love the questions. <laughs> I love the philosophy. It's brilliant. I'm just going to start using this stuff more often. Look, I photocopied and I've stuck it up on my wall. What could go wrong? 
And what goes wrong is what you're experiencing, which is like, you're like, oh, damn it, I just had another one of my calls and I've just forgot to use it. So there's a way of trying to be less ambitious but more deliberate. So rather than going, I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to embrace the coaching habit and clench my teeth and my fists and I'm going to do it, you go, okay, I'm going to be really specific about when and with whom I try and be more coach-like. So you think about... Gwen, who's one of your contract team members, and you know you work with her on stuff around workplace communications, and she's particularly about this. And you talk to her once a week, and you're like, okay, with Gwen is the woman I want to actually be more coach-like with. So you go, okay, let me define the habit and the habit formula, which is in the first part of the book. When this happens, instead of I will. So when when I have my weekly one-to-one with Gwen and she starts complaining about X client because honestly they're not a great client, instead of me leaping into suggest ideas, suggest solutions, provide alternatives, I will ask her, what's the real challenge here for you around this client, Gwen? And that commitment to have a much more local focus around building the coaching habit just gives you a better chance of actually getting some practice in and making this stuff become a habit. Yeah, that's it's that's a simple it's a good simple way to start. Yeah, and exactly. It reminds me in in your research report on performance management, the way you when you looked into this idea of ha- of sustaining a coaching culture and uh, I, I was a little bit surprised I thought you were going to say yes you need to you need to pr- promote a coaching culture that's what it all boils down to is a coaching culture exactly. and that's what that's not what you said how, how did it how did that come about yeah well it, it comes from me being uh, of really thinking hard about how change works and if you're the sort of person that kind of lights up when you hear build a coaching culture Here's what I would say to you. Almost nobody cares about coaching cultures, perhaps except you. <laughs> but <laughs> when you're pitching this to your senior leadership team, they don't care about coaching culture. They care about the bottom line. So that can be impact, that can be revenue, that can be profit, that can be kind of are we vision-led. But impact is one thing they care about. They care about engagement. Are our good people sticking around and are we helping them grow and helping them stay? They care about change. Are we surfing this wave of change? Are we separating ourselves strategically so we're different from our organization? And you've got to make a connection between that, the stuff they actually care about, and what you've got, which is a means to an end. And when you start talking about building a coaching culture, the danger is you frame this as an end in itself rather than the means to an end. And likewise, here we talk about coaching, and we just had this conversation about why your managers don't care about coaching. So you've got to find the, so why would they care about this? How's this going to make their life better? And then you get to have that conversation about pitching it to, to serve them. And then for us, the third thing about coaching culture is we're like, don't, don't teach people a coaching model. It's, uh, it's, you know, their models are interesting and people like you and me, Jesse, we kind of geek out about coaching models. But for practical, normal people, they don't use a model to change the way that they work. They want practical tools to change the way that they work. So that's why in the Coaching Habit book, we don't actually go, here's my philosophy about coaching. 
we say, here are seven good questions to be more coach-like. Hmm. So revamping performance management, uh, a lot of companies are trying different things and a lot of those are working in, in small ways. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, you got to have it to accomplish things like pay planning and so forth. Yep. But uh, the thing that when you, whenever you ask companies, what are you really hoping to get out of this performance management? It essentially comes down to, we just like them to have, there to be more performance discussions between the, the managers and the employees. Yeah. And so you can, uh, as you said in the book, 80, 20, if you apply the Pareto principle, 80% of what you're hoping to accomplish, uh, you could do it just by focusing on coaching, even if you don't get around to, maybe implementing a new software system. Yeah. I mean, the solution to your performance management is, um, is multiple. There's not a single action. There's not a single sword swipe that solves all of this. And what you're doing is you're building this right combination between structure, skills, platform, technology, expectations to try and shift behavior to, to increase this. And what the answer is for you depends on where your company is, what culture you have, what your ambitions are, why this is a priority, all of that stuff. But, and of course, Jesse, this comes with confirmation bias. You know, this is what we teach. So this is obviously what I would think. For us, we're going pretty much whatever the answer is, part of it needs to include a commitment to help your managers and leaders be more coach-like. So to that end, tell us what, what, what resources that you're providing these days to help accomplish that. Well, thank you. So um, we have a few things going on. There's the book, so the Coaching Habit book, um, available at a bookstore near you, airports, on Amazon, probably in many actual bookstores as well. Uh, it's been the number one coaching book for the last couple of years, so about almost half a million copies sold so far, which is Super exciting for, for me as the author. Congratulations. Um, thank you. If you're looking for a really specific tool that can help you and you have an iPhone, we actually have a an app. We haven't told many people about this, but the app is called Ask More, or one word, A-S-K-M-O-R-E, kind of like a purple icon with a little stylized A in it. And you can think of it as kind of Tinder meets coaching. So a way of tracking your coaching interactions with people and just seeing if you're trending on becoming more coach-like. So people can kind of check that out. If you're a person with a huge corporate budget and you're like, I'm just looking to spend all of this money on some really good training for my, for my people. Well, you, why didn't you call me earlier? But if you go to boxofcrayons.com, you'll see that we offer – at the moment, we just sell to organizations. We don't do individual training for people, but uh, for organizations looking to have their managers and leaders be more coach-like, well, uh, boxofcrayons.com is the place there. So I'm looking at your at the Box of Crayons website right now, boxofcrayons.com, yeah. and I definitely see um, the, the, the research and where you can sign up to get the training, the coaching programs. Yeah. Where, where does someone get that app? Because I'm missing uh, it. So that's far. that's only you'd have to go to the app store. Okay. To, to find the app, we don't, we haven't got that uploaded on the uh, on the w website yet. It's it's still pretty new, pretty beta testing for us. So we we love feedback on it. Okay, terrific. So that's the Apple App Store or the Google App Store or both? It's just the Apple App Store. Unfortunately, Apple. it's only available for iPhones at the moment. Okay. Well, you know, some would argue that's the only one that matters. <laughs> <laughs> 
right now you've lost 40% of your there audience you of whom have Android phones. Right. Uh, some would argue that I wouldn't. <laughs> and then tell me about your, your new podcast. So I, I first got to know you because I, I loved your old podcast, uh, More Great Work, Do More Great Work. Um, but right. your, tell us about your new podcast. So uh, I've got two podcasts going on. One, you, one people have heard about called Performance Management Stories. So this is for a really select audience. Basically, if you're interested in people saying, this is how we tackled performance management in our company, that's the one. So Performance Management Stories uh, on iTunes and Stitcher and the like. And then um, the second one is called The Coaching Habit. And this actually is interesting, I think anyway, because each person I talk to, I have three interviews with. One, a kind of longer 20-minute, 25-minute chat about what's their journey, how did they get here, what did they learn on the way, um, and what's a good coaching skill or tool or insight that they have to offer. And then for each one of them, I've done some shorter interviews, like three to five minutes. One is what's their favorite question, which is always intriguing. Um, and the other one is what's their favorite one or two resources that they go to to renew and engage their wisdom. So often a favorite book or podcast or download or thought leader, whatever it might be. All right. And we'll put links in our show notes to all the resources that Michael talked about. Michael Bungay-Stanier, thanks for coming back again to the Engaging Leader podcast. Yes, I'm delighted to be talking to you again. Thank you. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. You can find those show notes with all those links on our website at engagingleader.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, JJ Leahy, our social media guru, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. Engagers.